morning. And since this is a Presbyterian church, and I'm a Lutheran, I did this last time I was here, what better way to start than with some interdenominational humor? Now this joke highlights how petty some people can view denominational church differences. It is told from the perspective of a Baptist, so you're all safe. So I'm going to get into my Baptist uh, uh, voice now. But So once I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, Protestant. I said, Protestant? What, what denomination of Protestant are you? And he said, Baptist. And I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. And I said, I'm Northern Baptist. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. And I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist. Uh, Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. And I said, me too. And finally, I said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. And he said, 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Again, thanks for having me. Today we're going to look at a recent gospel reading from the three-year lectionary. Um, I know Bill says that, Pastor Spanger says that he sometimes preaches off the lectionary. And um, today we're going to look at the gospel reading that was read earlier. It's Matthew 10, verses 34 to 42. Now, we didn't read that yet this morning, did we? So I thought I saw that in the, bull, in the, in the church uh, bulletin that we would read it. Christopher, can you hand me a a Bible, and I will just read that real quick. Matthew 10, verses 34 to 42. So I'll read it in a minute. Have you ever read a text in the Bible that makes you a little uncomfortable? Something doesn't sit right about it? It doesn't seem to agree with other things that you know about our faith and doctrine, and it just makes you a little uncomfortable? Now, I don't know what you, you do, but what I do when I read a text like that is often um, I just try to move along, get to a, another Bible verse that kind of makes me feel a little better, that agrees with more of what I'm saying. Now to start, there are some metaphors in the Bible that are used in very different ways. A word or picture that means one thing when used in one context and something completely different in another context. Take, for instance, the image of fire. Fire is used in a number of places in a very negative way. Often judgment. Hell is described as an unquenchable fire, a blazing furnace, a place where the fire never goes out. In other words, you really don't want to be there. James describes your tongue as a fire, a world of evil. But then, other places in the Bible, fire is used quite differently. John the Baptist promises that Jesus would come to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire here is a good thing. 
First Peter describes our suffering as us being refined by fire, resulting in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. And in Hebrews 12, God himself is described as a consuming fire. So fire can be a picture of good and a picture of bad, depending on the text. Same thing with water. In Noah's flood, water represented God's judgment in the world. During the Exodus, water represented the judgment on the Egyptian army as they were drowned in the Red Sea. Jonah is cast into the raging sea as judgment for his disobedience. And yet we are told that Jesus offers us living water with which we will never thirst again. John 7 says that for those who believe out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In Jeremiah 2, God describes himself as a spring of living water. So we see that both fire and water are pictures used in the Bible, but in very different ways, symbolizing both God's blessing and judgment, depending on the context. As I studied this difficult text in Matthew 10, husbands or fathers being turned against their sons and mothers against daughters and daughter-in-laws and enemies in the old household, I realized that I may not be correctly interpreting one of the key words that Jesus uses here. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, and so on. It appears that Jesus is saying that he came with the goal to bring conflict, to bring discord, to bring battle, not peace. Families will break. Close relationships will fray. Loved ones will become enemies. That doesn't sound like the Jesus we read about elsewhere in Scripture. The one Isaiah prophesies will come as the Prince of Peace. The one whose arrival was welcomed by angels saying, On earth, peace, goodwill to men. And yet I believe a closer reading here will enlighten us to what the text is telling us. I believe that the key word that unlocks this text is the word sword. He didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He doesn't say he came to bring battle or conflict or discord. He says he came to bring a sword. Like the words fire and water, the word sword is used in multiple ways in Scripture. There is judgment. Romans 13 says, Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are agents of God's wrath to bring punishment. There is conflict. In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan prophesies that because of what David did to the, uh, Uriah the Hittite, having killed him so that David could take his wife, Nathan says, the sword will never depart from your house. That's conflict. Sword also, also represents death. Luke 21 talks about people falling by the sword. When we hear that Jesus came to bring a sword in Matthew 10, it is easy to think he's talking about something painful. But as we read the New Testament, there is another picture of the sword, a picture that might give us a better understanding of what Jesus is saying in our text today when it says he came to bring a sword. Ephesians 6 calls us to be armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here the sword represents the Word. In Hebrews 4, which was read earlier, the author writes, The Word of God, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged, Sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Again, the picture of the sword as a representation of God's word, sharper than any double-edged sword. So we have these two sides of the word sword. On one side, there is judgment, conflict, and death. And on the other side, there is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. So when Jesus says he came to bring a sword, which kind of sword is it? To understand, we need to look at the context for Matthew 10. These words from Jesus are spoken to the disciples toward the end of a discussion about evangelism. Jesus is about to send his 12 disciples out to the word, to spread the word, saying, he says earlier in Matthew 10, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. In verses 26 and 27 of Matthew 10, he says to them, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the mountaintops. In other words, Jesus is saying, take my words that I have given to you and share them with others. And earlier in Matthew 10, he tells them to expect pushback. On, our, on account of their testimony, Jesus says in verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to, get, to death. Does that sound familiar? That sounds a lot like the text today, later in the same chapter, turning brother against brother and parents against kids. On account of what? The disciples' message. And this is in the same speech. Jesus is sending the disciples out on his authority to do his work, saying he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Did Jesus hand them swords? No, he gave them his word and promised that this word would cause division and conflict. So I believe that Jesus is saying here that I didn't come so that everyone would just get along with each other to bring earthly peace. He's saying, I came to bring the word, the word of God, a word that contains God's law, but also his grace. Peace? Sure, that's part of it. In fact, peace is a fruit of the Spirit for those who actually receive the word in faith. But peace is only a fruit. The word of God, the sword of the Spirit, that's the tree from which the fruit springs forth. Jesus says, I came to bring the word, and the word cuts. It divided the people who heard the message that the disciples delivered. Jesus knew that his word would divide families, that it would cut. And for us, it cuts us too. As receivers of that same word, it causes conflict, not just in the world, but in us. And it does so right in the text. Continuing in verse 37 from our reading today, after he talks about coming to bring division, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. Again, more words that we hear from Jesus that we might want to just skip on by. Those are a little bit uncomfortable, aren't they? Being worthy of Jesus sounds like an exclusive club. I read about recently something called the 300 Club, which is reserved for an exclusive group of adventurers 
who will subject, subject themselves to one of the more physically grueling scenarios that you can imagine. Warming yourself in a sauna to 200 degrees Fahrenheit at the Am I don't I can't even read the Amudsman Scott Research Station in Antarctica. So they go, they're in Antarctica, they go into a sauna up to 200 degrees, and then they streak naked outside nearby the South Pole while temperatures are 100 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So the 300 club are people who have gone from plus 200 to minus 100. One person described the experience of running outside as feeling like somebody was hitting me with a tennis racket full of needles. I'm sure that is an accurate description. That has got to be an exclusive club. Does anybody want membership? Yeah, it's hard. That sounds like a hard club to get into. Well, what about the club that Jesus just described? The club of people that are worthy of following him. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for, for my sake will find it. Ouch. That cuts a little bit, doesn't it? If you love your parents or children more than Jesus, you are unworthy. We might extend this to the other things in life we might consider important. A job, a hobby, our reputation, our finances, traveling. Whoever loves these more than Jesus is unworthy to follow. Then he says we must pick up our cross carrying a heavy burden or else we are unworthy. And then it says we must give up our lives for him. So based on these words alone, who here at Affirmation Church is worthy to follow Jesus? Anyone here fulfilling those requirements? You might think, oh, he doesn't mean that. Do you think Jesus is joking? Do you think he slapped his knee after that? The question is, is anyone worthy based on what Jesus is saying here? And the answer is clearly no. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. No wonder the word caused such deep conflict to those who heard the disciples' message. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't bring peace. In fact, it may cut a little. When we in the modern Western world who strive to succeed, to earn our reputation, to look presentable, to show we make good decision, when we are disqualified from the start, that we are presented with a standard that we know we have no chance of meeting, and this means we have lost out on the most important thing we could hope for, to be worthy of following Jesus, Jesus didn't come to bring peace, to make us feel good where we are. He came to bring his word, the sword, his word of truth. And as they say, sometimes the truth hurts. This is definitely a hard text in the Bible, but not because of what it says about Jesus, but because of what it says about us. On our own, based on our own works, our words, our thoughts, we are unworthy. But there is good news. As we saw in Hebrews 4, 
the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It cuts two ways. The word of God delivers a sharp judgment, but it also delivers grace. Right after Jesus exposes us for being unworthy, he continues to his disciples in verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, to me, as I was working through this text, this feels a little bit jarring, at least when I first read it. On the one hand, you must love Jesus more than anything to be worthy. You must lose your life for his sake. And then here, all you have to do is receive a prophet to get a prophet's reward. You just have to receive a righteous person and you get a righteous person's reward. Well, that sounds pretty easy. So which is it? Is it really hard or is it really easy? The answer is, it's both. And to understand, we have to look to the cross, where Jesus was cut, not with a sword, but with a spear. Jesus took on the judgment we deserve for our own unworthiness, our unrighteousness. What does it say we have to do in Matthew 10? We have to pick up our cross. Well, you know who picked up his cross? Jesus picked up his cross. He experienced desertion by his closest companions. He put the concerns of God above his family, his friends, and other earthly interests. He gave up his life. All the things that he tells us we need to do in Matthew 10, he did them. He accomplished what we never could to give us a worthiness we could never earn. On the cross, he showed us that he was the righteous person. And what is the reward of the righteous person? Life, communion with God, and yes, peace. And as our text says, all we need to to do to gain the reward of the righteous person is what? Receive him. The one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. So it is really hard. But since Jesus did the hard part on the cross, we simply receive the reward he earned because we receive him. That is what we hear in this seemingly difficult text. That Jesus did not come simply to bring peace, to make us feel okay in our current sinful state. He came to bring the word, the sword of the spirit, and that word is divisive, as it reveals the sin inside of us, our unworthiness, our unrighteousness, This word will turn people away and cause conflict, as many will reject the word. But for those who receive the word, who receive Jesus, the righteous person, there is the righteous person's reward, life, communion with God, and peace. And as God's people, we are commanded to bring the same sword to the world, the message of sin and grace, of judgment and of forgiveness, knowing that this world will cut with judgment but also be the good news of God's grace to those who receive it in faith. So let's be faithful bearers of the sword, that it may bring repentance to the sinner and grace to the downtrodden.
And as you do so, go with the blessing of Philippians 4, 7. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this word, a word that doesn't just puff us up and say, don't worry, you're just fine the way you are. A word that tells us, that exposes us, and shows us the need that we have for a savior. The same word that exposes us also comforts us with your grace. Maybe, may we be faithful bearers of your sword, that we might bring your word to the people who need to hear it. Even if it causes conflict, we know that in your word, your spirit lives and works. And through your spirit, all that you ordain to accomplish will happen. May that be a truth that resonates in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.